Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I'm one of your hosts. There are two other hosts that are joining me today, of course. Anna. Hello. And Danielson. Hey, yo. So before we start today's episode, I just want to say, like always, we do not run any ads on this show or take any money from any corporations. So if you'd like to help us out, then there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. For only $5 a month, which is 16 cents a day, you can sign up to our Patreon and get an extra episode each week. These Patreon episodes are exclusive to members only. Today, we released a Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over the Ross Ulbrich and the Silk Road. Also, we have over 35 extra episodes, which is over 56 extra hours, already locked and loaded for your listening pleasure, such as the Bilderberg Group, The Exorcism of Clara Celli, CERN, Glitches in the Matrix, Nexon Cult, Disney Darkness, and much more, which you get access to all of them for just 5 bucks a month. Another way to support the show is through merchandise. Just teleport on over to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on our shop button. Then you can see all the merch we have for sale. T-shirts, hats, hoodies, new designs, all that good stuff. I also just wanted to say that the money we get from our Patreon and merchandise sales goes to bettering the show. Another thing, I know things are super tough out there right now. So if you can't afford a shirt or a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes, and that helps us out a ton. If you don't want to leave one, though, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, Discordians, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. Also, one last thing. If any of you would like to reach out to us, then you can shoot us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Or you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com. You can click on the contact button, and there you will find all of our personal email addresses. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over the dark web. So how this episode will go today is that we'll first cover what is the dark web, how it works, who started it, and then we'll dive into the meat of the episode, which is over the websites in the dark web. And then we'll cover a couple of personal stories from the dark web and then go into our own personal thoughts and theories surrounding it all. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. It's a mysterious part of the internet that is only accessible through certain software. Software that was originally funded and created by the United States government. The software makes the user anonymous and allows them to access the dark web, a place where individuals can go to get access to whatever their heart desires, such as hiring hitmen, buying guns or stolen goods, chatting on a forum made for individuals who are cannibals, or even watching live pay-per-views of someone getting tortured or murdered. Alright, so for us to better understand how the dark web works and the history behind it, we first have to discuss the different levels of the internet. And yeah, there's different levels. There's the surface web, the deep web, and of course, the dark web. So, Anna, do you want to start us off and tell us about the surface web? The surface web is pretty much your everyday Google internet search. Uh, anything that you want to find using Google or any other search engine, it's pretty much under the surface level web. Now, most people think that this surface web has to take up most of the information on the internet. Well, not really. The surface web only consists of about 4%. Yeah. 4% of all information found on the internet. That's crazy. I think it would uh, be a whole lot more, but I guess not. With as much as we use it, you would think so. Yeah. 
So the next level is the deep web. Dan, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? So a lot of individuals confuse the terms deep web and dark web, but they are completely different. So the deep web consists of all the private information online. For example, things like medical records, financial records, or anything that is considered personal information is what makes up the deep web. So let's say you go to the doctor's office, fill out the health paperwork, or maybe, you know, you file some bank records or save some personal information to the cloud. That is still all stored on the deep web. Now, this information cannot be found using any traditional search engine like, you know, Google, Bing, whoever uses Bing. All this information, of course, is private. The deep web is 500 times larger than the surface web, which is, you know, your normal internet. Okay, now we're going to get into what our episode is over today, the dark web. Now, this is the third level, and this is the part of the internet that you just can't access, you know, just by looking it up on Google. You can't even access this part of the internet with your normal internet browser. There's a specific software that you need to download before you can start browsing the dark web. This specific software is called Tor, which stands for The Onion Router, and it is an anonymous browser. Kind of think of it like uh, Internet Explorer, but it hides your identity and gives you access to websites that aren't normally accessible. All right, so what this Tor, The Onion Router, does is that it basically takes your Internet through a series of proxy servers that are operated by thousands of volunteers around the globe. These thousands of proxy servers makes your computer nearly impossible for anyone to know where it is located. So pretty much your computer is unidentifiable and untraceable to anyone on the internet while using this Tor software. So just a little FYI too. So this Tor browser, it's just like Google Chrome. It looks exactly like Google Chrome. Just a little FYI going forward. So, Anna, do you want to tell us about web addresses and how would somebody look up anything or whatever they wanted to look up? Definitely. All right. So, with the web addresses, basically that means anything you type in regular internet, like, you know, Facebook.com or theoriesofthethirdkind.com or Google.com. Those are web addresses that point to a specific website. Now, why are we discussing this? Well, when you use the Tor browser to connect to the dark web, you still need these web addresses, and they aren't your typical www.whatever.com. Instead of them ending in .com or .org, these dark websites end in .onion. Like we said earlier, these .onion websites are only accessible through the Tor browser, so you can't use Google Chrome or your regular internet browser to reach them. If you type them in, it simply wouldn't work. Another thing is that these dark websites also use a scrambling name structure to create the website names, and they are pretty much impossible to remember. For example, a popular site on the dark web is called Dream Market. Its address that you have to type in is, quote, E-A-J-W-L-V-M-3-Z-2-L-C-C-A-76-dot-onion. Oh, that's not too hard to remember. Yeah, good luck remembering that. You start doing, what is it, the acronyms or whatever? Like, eat all jelly, welly, lovely... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, also, these sites often change the, these complicated addresses to evade any law enforcement... And another thing worth mentioning is that even though these sites end in .onion, like Aaron said, they look like normal websites on the regular internet using Google. Yeah. And speaking of Google, how would you find, like, uh, say if I wanted to find something specific on the dark web, how would I go about finding that? Now, I got to admit, Google does a really good job for the most part of finding general information for everything. But as you guys know, we love DuckDuckGo. But the search engines on the dark web they really suck and they're unreliable. For example, one of the best search engines on the dark web is called Grams. It returns results that are repetitive and often irrelevant to the search. A way that individuals usually find sites on the dark web is through a list called the Hidden Wiki. 
This hidden wiki is pretty much like Wikipedia, but all it does is update addresses of the dark websites so people can keep up on them. Yeah, and the individuals who run these dark websites will usually go to the hidden wiki, and whenever their addresses change, they'll go on there and update it. So, just a little FYI. Um, Another thing real quick before we hop into the meat of the episode and what the dark web holds, as in like sites and everything in it, Let's discuss really quickly how it was created. And when I mean really quickly, I mean just like one paragraph. So, Dan, can you give us a quick and dirty of how it was created? All right. The dark web was actually created by the U.S. government to allow spies to exchange information completely anonymously. U.S. military researchers developed the technology known as Tor, the onion router, in the mid-1990s. The original technology behind Tor was developed by the U.S. Navy and has received about 60% of its funding from the State Department and Department of Defense. Now, the reason the government created Tor was so that they could stay anonymous. It would be harder to distinguish the government's messages between spies if thousands of other people were using the same system for lots of different things. Then, suddenly, the Tor software was released to the public for everyone to use. How convenient. Very convenient. Sounds just like Ross Ulbrich. Yep, sounds just like our Patreon episode that we discussed today, Ross Ulbrich and the Silk Road. And you can sign up to our Patreon for five bucks a month or 16 cents a day and help support one of us. Mm-hmm. Save me. Yep. All right, so let's hop into the good part of the episode. Let's hop into what the dark web contains, what websites, services, and goods that they offer. All right, so you can buy a lot of stuff on the dark web, such as credit card numbers, all types of drugs, guns, service-to-air missiles, counterfeit money, stolen subscription credentials, submarines, hacked Netflix accounts, and software that helps you break into other people's computer. You can also buy login credentials to a $50,000 Bank of America account for only 500 bucks. You can get $3,000 in counterfeit $20 bills for just $600. You can even buy seven prepaid debit cards, each with a $2,500 balance for only 500 bucks, and it will come with free express shipping. Um, a lifetime Netflix premium account goes for $6. And if you want to, you can even hire hackers to attack computers for you. The list continues on and on and on. Did I hear you correctly? Did you say submarine? Submarines, yes. So you're saying that there's a third kind could possibly purchase a submarine. Do you know how to drive a submarine? I'm Asian. I can figure this shit out sooner. Oh my God. Yeah, just so everybody knows, (laughs) Daniel's Asian. So if it's your first time listening, surprise. Oh, surprise. All right. Yes, you can buy a submarine. But not everything there on the dark web is illegal, okay? The dark web does contain a legitimate side now, Daniel son. For example, if you want to join a chess club, you can do it. What, is it because I'm Asian? No, they just have chess clubs. They also have a thing called Black Book, which is a social network, which is kind of like the, uh, they describe it as the Facebook of Tor, the onion router. So if you want to get off Facebook and go into the deep, darkest webs of the social medias, there you go. Does it have anything to do with Epstein's Black Book? No, but that's just the surface of what you can purchase and what you can get from the deep web. So I say let's dive deeper into specific websites that's located on there. What do you guys say? Let's do it. You know, I might want to bite into this one. Ooh, I like that. Mm. Mm. So this first site that we're going to talk about is called Cannibal Cafe. Ooh. So as the name suggests, of course... The Cannibal Cafe is a website forum where people who want to eat other people go and chat with one another. Many individuals on this forum have claimed to have killed, cooked, and eaten others. There are several posts in super detail about how to properly prepare human flesh and how to find someone to eat. So these are a little graphic going forward, just a heads up. Um, we'll we'll warn you when the real bad ones come, but a couple other things worth mentioning here is that not only are people on this site wanting to eat others, but there are individuals who are wanting to be 
eaten. Yes, individuals who have a fetish or dream of wanting to be eaten by someone else. Oh, man. It's a little weird. Super weird. Mm. Like, what kind of trauma did you have in past lives where that's what you're aching for? Like, just oh, eat please, me, please take a bite out of my skin. It tastes good. I salt it every day. It puts the lotion on its skin, <laughs> Daniel. So instead of lotion, it'd be like seasoning? Yeah. It puts the barbecue seasoning on you. Oh, I got the soy sauce on me. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, so there's a couple of famous stories involving this Cannibal Cafe website. The first story we're going to go over is regarding an individual named Armin Maves. So this Armin guy was a German computer repair person who in 2001 went to the Cannibal Cafe site and made a post stating that he was, and I quote, looking for a normally built 18 to 25-year-old to be slaughtered and then consumed. So in March of that year, a guy named Bernard Jürgen Armando Brandes, who was an engineer from Berlin, said that, hey, I'd be up for it. So only nine days later, on March 9th, 2001, Bernard went to Armin's home and they decided to videotape the feast. Armin set up a video camera and Bernard swallowed 20 sleeping pills and a bottle of cough syrup to slow his breathing to prepare himself to be eaten. <laughs> of course, being the freak that he is, Bernard said that, uh, hey, Armand, I want my penis to be eaten first. And he whipped it out. And it only gets weirder from here, okay? So Armand was like, okay, I'll eat it. How do you want me to eat it? And Bernard was like, look, just bite it off. Bernard was like, okay, dude, whatever you want. So he went down there and he tried to bite off his penis. And he wasn't able to. So he took out a knife and he sliced it off. Bernard, you know, being in like his euphoria, right, was like, oh, let me see how my penis tastes. So he grabbed it and he tried to chew it raw. And he said it was too tough and that it was too chewy. So, uh, Anna, you want to tell us what Armand did with uh, Bernard's penis? Now, you got to do it like a cook show. You have to describe it just like a cook show would. <laughs> Armin fried the penis in a pan with salt, pepper, wine, and garlic. And then he fried it a little too long. Oops. I've burnt it. I must now give the remains to my dog. Because <laughs> he couldn't eat it himself. Yeah, it was too oh. burnt for him. So he chopped it up into chunks and fed it to his dog. Oh, my goodness. Poor oh. dog. Yeah. I know. Had no idea. All right. So um, Armand, after feeding the penis of Bernard to his dog, uh, decided, hey, I need to go make a bath for Bernard and put him in it. So that's what he did. Put Bernard in there in his bathtub. And as he laid there bleeding, he was drifting in and out of consciousness. Um, Armand was like, look, I don't got time for just sit here to watch you drift in and out of your consciousness, bleeding everywhere. I got a really good Star Trek book. I'm going to go read in the living room and I'll check on you uh, every 15 minutes or so. <laughs> These people are so messed up, man. So he would go check on Bernard every 15 minutes and Bernard, of course, kept drifting in and out. Armand got impatient and uh, decided to kill Bernard by stabbing him in the throat. Then after that, he took his body and hung it up on a meat hook. He then dismembered Bernard and ate him over the next uh, 10 months. Now, this entire incident was recorded on a four-hour videotape, which was never released to the public. Armand, of course, was arrested in December of 2002, but how he was caught was he kept going on the online forum saying, hey, I want more college students so I can eat. People were like, yo, you're freaking us out, dude. They alerted the police. Police went and... Uh, raided Armand's home, found body parts, found the videotape of him killing Bernard, was like, yo, this dude's messed up. So they arrested him. And then on January 30th, 2004, Armand was convicted of manslaughter and was sentenced to only eight years and six months in prison. People in the town were like, we are not cool with that. So they retried him and sentenced him to life in prison. Something else worth noting here is that he became a vegetarian while in prison, so he ain't eating no penises anytime soon. Temptations all around him. Yeah. 
so that's enough of uh, that messed up story. Let's go on to another messed up story. Who wants to tell us about the cannibal cop? So another crazy thing about this cannibal cafe site is that it became pretty famous due to the cannibal cop news story. Now, if you aren't familiar with this story, pretty much what happened is this NYPD officer was on the cannibal cafe forum discussing with others on planning to kill and eat his wife. This officer left his laptop open. His wife saw it. Of course, she freaked out and left and then reported him. They arrested him, got his laptop, found his post, and that's how the news story broke. We did hear an interview from the cop himself who claims that it was a role play and he never actually planned on carrying it out, which surprisingly held up in court because he was let off the hook by just saying that it was an online fetish role play. I don't know, man. That's that's a really weird fetish. You think he like wanted to purposely get caught by his wife? You think that's like he's been hiding that for a really long time? And he's like, okay, I'm just going to bring up my laptop, Ooh. leave it out for her. I'm going to see how she reacts. And he's like, oh, no, it's totally bad. Totally bad. Like maybe she was kind of into it, too. Yeah. Maybe he wanted her to be the one to initiate the divorce paperwork and shit. Man. He didn't want to do it. That's one dramatic way to go about it. <laughs> I'm going to leave this out for my wife to see. I want to eat her. I want her to give me those divorce papers. Hey, you never know. She might have been beating him or something. Uh, maybe. You're uh. right. You're right. Starving him. It happens. So he was hungry. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what's this next, uh, this next sites we're going to talk about? Yeah. This one is um, in regarding to Hitman. Yep. Hitman. Ooh. So there are three big Hitman sites on the dark web. Cthulhu, Unfriendly Solution, and Assassination Market. Cthulhu offers, and I quote, solutions to common problems. You name a target, pay in Bitcoin, and wait a few weeks, and then the accident or suicide will take place. Assassination Market, however, is a whole different ballgame, and not your typical pay-to-get-someone-whacked type of hitman site. People often refer to Assassination Market as a Kickstarter for murder. It operates similarly to popular crowdsourcing sites. So, this is how it works. A potential victim is added to a public list of targets. Users bid bitcoins on when they believe a chosen target will die. The most accurate bidder takes home the pot at the time of the target's death. The assumption here on this site is that users can expedite the death process themselves in accordance with their bets, thus creating hitmen rather than hiring them. That's smart. That is a good business. Mm -hmm. That's a good business decision. Oh, man. Not so much of killing people, but no, no. in the way that they're doing it, it's smart. Indeed. Because yeah, they're not really hiring. They're just, they're betting on when this person's going to die and people that want the money badly enough end up becoming the hitman. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so this next website is called Bug Chaser Form. This one's pretty short. All it is, it's a form uh, where people chat and uh, they're individuals without HIV who are actively seeking out those with HIV for sex so that they can contract the virus. Almost as bad as a cannibal so weird. club, you know, wanting to be eight, wanting to get viruses. It's weird. Yeah. And isn't there a flip side to this, too? Yeah, there is people who like to go out there and give HIV or AIDS to individuals that are unaware that they have it. So it's kind of like a fetish for them, which is horrible. Yeah. And a crime. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. And the crime doesn't stop. I mean, this next one is pretty bad. <laughs> Very bad. But it's not the worst. I can say it's not the uh, worst. Something we have coming up is like, mm -hmm. it blows everything out of the water. It is the worst. But anyways, continue. Sorry. You all good. The next one we got is the human experiment. It's This one's considered controversial, you know, because some say it doesn't exist. And then, well, you know, there's others that say it does. This site is considered as one of the most disturbing sites on the dark web. 
The Human Experiment is a website that hosts live streams of them doing experiments with living people, like injecting bleach into pregnant women, starvation, sterilization, radiation exposure, and several other torture tactics. On the site itself, they state that they have four operational warehouses, that each one of these warehouses can house up to 20 test subjects, that the experiments are often done to homeless or undocumented citizens. They have a recent news tab on the front of the website that acts as an announcement area for when they receive new test subjects and which warehouse they are placed inside. Also on the site, they state that the bodies of the dead are dissected and then disposed of in dumpsters of meat shops where their bodies will not be found. Something notable about this site is that they have a large amount of test data documents that some medical professionals reviewed and said that they are eerily accurate. Now, I don't know how accurate that is. I was uh, looking on a form and they were talking about this site and the test data documents that the site had. And that's where the medical professionals, quote unquote, medical professionals said it was accurate. So take that one with a me, little me, you know what I mean? He got a cut on his knee and they put a bandaid on it. That is accurate as shit, right? Okay, sorry. Is that what they live stream? Like Mr. G would do, put paper cut your eyeballs. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, damn. Yeah. Is that what they did to your eyes? When they fixed your eyes? They take that layer? They, mm. Man, they could have done whatever. I couldn't feel anything. My eyeballs were numb. <laughs> I could feel my eyelids, though. My like, So when they put the thing under my eyelid to hold my eyeball open, I could feel that there was something going on there. So could you see what they were doing? Oh, yeah, 100%. Well... So, like, I could see everything, and what happens is they open up your eye, you're looking at this light in the machine, there's, like, two red lights on left and right, and then a green light in the middle, and they're just, like, focused on the green light. How long did it last? And then they put the thing in, the whole procedure itself was, like, maybe 10 minutes or 15. God, that must have felt so long, being out, just being so scared to not, like, look away from the green light. Well, it didn't take that long to do the light part, like the whole procedure itself from me laying in bed to them sterilizing my eyes to um, like the it was like 30 seconds for them to come down initially, which is kind of this part's kind of scary because then it goes black. And then I feel this pressure like pushing on my eye into my skull. But that's all I felt was pressure. Honestly, not uncomfortable. Like it's not something I would be like, I can't do that again. It was too uncomfortable. No, not at all. And then that was them just cutting the flap in my eye. And then they did that to both eyes. Then went and did the actual lasering to fix my problems. And that part is where they had the two lights and he's just like, focus on it. And I was doing it. And there comes a point where it kind of disappears a little bit. And you're like, oh no, but it's okay. Because it's like at the end of the procedure. And I'm thinking, did I go blind or whatever? But I watched. Because they were moving. It's almost like. When you look at a, an organism under a microscope and there's more to it, it had all this, th- this movement to it. So I watched it morph into a clear image of three separate colors from every time they like went through with the laser, my eyesight got better. And I was like, weird. And so I, I paid attention to that as I went to the, to the next eye. And I watched it go from blurry to not. And then afterwards, the weird part is, is... They go to flip your flap back down on your eye, and I could see that they're doing that. It's like I was looking through a TV screen (laughs) as they're flipping it down. My vision's kind of weird, and once it's over, I'm, like, really clear. And then they have to, like, lay it down. They have, like, a cotton swab that has a little towel. It's not a towel, but it just looks like a little towel. Oh, like uh, Toy Story. Whenever Woody's getting all fixed up, I think after he loses his arm and they clean and put like a polish his eye or whatever, that's exactly what my life was like in that moment. I watched the thing go over my eye, but I'm like, I can't feel it, but I know that thing is touching my eye, flattening my my actual eye right now. But yeah, I got up after that and it was weird because I could see, like I'm really blind before my, my Lasix, but I was like, I can already see more. And long story short, slept for a while, woke up and just was like, wow, I can see. I can actually see. There's no, there's nothing in there. Um, I had a halo for like, I had a pretty bad halo for a couple days, but it went, it reduced really quickly. Like, I know I hardly have it, but. I'm gonna go do it. Do it. 
go get it done, man. I'm telling you, like, one of the best decisions. Seriously, Aaron, you should. Just as serious as you shaving your beard. Like, it, it, if a bear chases me, I will now not die because I couldn't see it. I will die properly because it's just going to get me. But, like, before, I couldn't even see it charging me. <laughs> on a story time. On a story time. Yeah, that was on a story time. Well, it ended up going that way with <laughs> asking me about my eyeballs because a lot of people didn't know I had Lasix. So, for those of you that don't, that's why Aaron rocked out these episodes this week. Dan was out of power. Anna was recovering. Yep. So he killed this dark web. Speaking of this, do you want to tell us about the next one? Yeah. Well, this one is called Atlantic Carding. So this one is all about selling credit card information, addresses, and social security numbers. The more money you're willing to spend, the better the info. Big spenders can even get access to business accounts and infinite credit cards with no limit. Prices range between $5 and $80, depending on the depth of information sold. The site boasts a credit card validity rate upwards of 95%. Anonymous communication via PGP encryption and untraceable Bitcoin transactions. Yeah, but eh, you could send them the Bitcoin payment and they would be like, eh, see you later and take your money, which more than likely would be the case. So, yeah. I'd- be a little mm-hmm. skeptical about this. A lot skeptical, actually. Especially like 5 to $80 worth, and then you're getting like an unlimited no-cap credit card. Yeah, I don't yeah. know about that. Um, anyways, yeah. uh, so this next site we're going to talk about, if you're an animal lover, you will find this one to be insanely disturbing, so you might want to skip ahead a minute or two. So this one is called the Cruel Onion Wiki. It is a Wikipedia-like site that allows users to post themselves abusing animals online. So, as you can imagine, videos and photographs that are posted on the site are very graphic. Individuals can make posts and request certain types of breeds of dogs, cats, or whatever animal that they want, and the specific type of torture or abuse. Other individuals will usually comment on that post with a specific quote in cost of the request. So, like, someone says, hey, I want somebody to go run over a hairless cat, which whoever would do that, how dare you? I have one, and I love it. And then, this is just for Mm -hmm. an example, by the way, the person would say, oh, that would cost you $6,000. And then somebody else would comment, oh, $5,000. You know, stuff like that. So, kind of like bidding. But that's a messed up site, and whoever goes to that is very messed up in the head, and you should go seek counseling. Very. Poor animals are so freaking innocent. I love my golem. My hairless cat, I love you. He's a boss. He is. I haven't seen him since you moved. Yeah. All right, Dan, you want to tell us about a little bit about Silk Road? Yes. So... The Silk Road was pretty much the biggest market for illegal drugs and has made over $1.1 billion in transactions in just one year. On Silk Road, you could buy drugs, services such as hacking into Facebook accounts, pirated content, fake passports, and more. You could even check the reviews and star ratings of each dealer left by other customers. Now, the story of Silk Road, its creation, and everything around it is absolutely fascinating. We did release a Patreon-exclusive episode over it today, so if you want to know more about it, then go sign up for our Patreon. It's only 5 bucks a month. 16 cents a day. Do it! And you get access to not only the Silk Road episode, but you also get access to all of our other episodes. We have like an ass load of them, so go look and go listen. And our Discord server, because now you can link your Patreon with your Discord server, and it automatically sends you your invite and gets you all set up with the Discord. Automatically. Nice. Super easy now. Thanks to Anna. Oh, no. Thanks to Wraith. Wraith is the one that told me about there being a bot that we could use for that. So thank you, Wraith, for putting us on to that. Dang. Shout out to Wraith. Love you. Shout out to Wraith. My man. I love you. So, Anna, do you want to tell us about some uh, Red Rooms? (sighs) Yes. I don't want to, but we must because this is probably... One of the reasons I know most of why the dark web existed. 
So, I know we've talked about a ton of horrible sites, but in all of our opinion, the worst category of the dark web involves red rooms. Yep. And we're not talking about the red light district. Mm-mm. Okay, this is a warning, a trigger warning. If you don't want to hear graphic stuff, we definitely recommend skipping ahead a few minutes on this one. So if you don't know what a red room is, it's a website that allows you to witness someone being raped, tortured, or killed for a price. Individuals will go to these sites, and there will usually be a countdown timer on it, along with an entry price to view the live stream. The entry price is usually in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. Once you have paid the price, you then get access to the live stream. And once the timer goes to zero, a live stream appears with someone getting tortured or murdered. Now, people have assumed over the years that Red Rooms were an urban legend, and none of them actually exist. Unfortunately, that isn't the case. There was a site called NLF, or also known as No Limits Fun, that was run by an individual named Peter Scully. This NLF website had built up an international child sexual abuse ring that offered pay-per-view live video streams of children being tortured and sexually abused. Peter would get his victims by going to impoverished parents in the area and promising that their child would get work and education. Oh my god. In other cases, Peter would get his two Filipino girlfriends to find young victims and lure them back to his home in promise of food. There, these children were abused tortured, raped, and murdered on live stream. Not only by Peter, but by his two girlfriends as well. According to police statements, girls as young as 18 months old and as old as 12 were raped, tortured, and even killed on live camera. Some of the girls were even forced to dig their own graves. Among the victims, the most notable recording that was live-streamed and then sold over the internet for upwards of $10,000 a copy was one called Daisy's Destruction, where an 18-month-old infant was hung upside down while Peter and two accomplices raped and tortured her. So the word about this video became so popular that the Dutch National Child Exploitation Team began an international manhunt for the creator of this video. On February 20th, 2015, Peter Scully was tracked down in the Philippines and arrested. He faced a total of 75 charges and was alleged to have sexually abused 75 children. In October 2015, before Peter's trial, a spontaneous fire broke out in the evidence room which contained Peter's computer logs and videos, destroying all the key evidence in his case. However, for one time in the system, it didn't stop the justice system from doing what they needed to do in this situation. Because in June of 2018, he was sentenced to life in prison. Yeah, that was the worst story I found in all this. And it had, it, it, it had proof. And that was, that was horrible. And I'm glad he's in prison for the rest of his life. Have you ever listened to the Sword and Scale podcast? No. I used to like them. The host is kind of controversial. I don't really list. I don't have time for podcasts now. I haven't listened for over a couple of years. But there was one on the dark web. And they talked about specifically the little kids who were killed and like hit with baseball bats and stuff on there. And I just. It's horrible, they, yeah. It is. They, and it wasn't even this, just this Peter guy. Like, there is, in, in the one that I was listening to, there were multiple people involved that were laughing and having fun and just, like, I think at one time they had three babies out playing, if you will, playing with them as they were just doing what they wanted to do, disemboweling, and it's just like, how can you do that to a child? They're not human, man. I, I don't know. I think those people aren't born with something. You know. Yeah. It's messed up. Yeah, that's crazy. And to continue this whole messed up thing, Dan, do you want to tell us about this collection? 
This next one is the Stillborn Collection. This website is a place for women to share photos of their stillborn children because they can't deal with the pain. Yeah, so I guess it's a, I mean, it's a good place for the women to connect with one another who's been through that. But then again, you will have your sickos that go on there that just have some type of weird fetish of looking at that, you know? Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, man. Yeah. Um, another website is one called Human Products. It is a site where they sell products such as food, belts, wallets, and clothing, which, I mean, that seems normal, right? Yeah. A little bit. What's wrong with this one? Well, these products are made from humans. Yeah, humans. Ooh. So they got like nipple belts, butthole shades, um, anything you can think of, they got. And something worth noting here is that they have a, that uh, this site does have a loyal customer base, and their tagline is that they do not wear fur. Well, that's nice, you know. Yeah. But you might have a little nipple hair on your belt. From your nipple belt. Is that considered say, fur? Nope, that's uh, a hair. Was it Ed Gein that had the nipple belt? Yeah, he had like a bunch of crazy stuff. He did like dye made out of bone and lamps made out of people. Like his whole house was decorated with people. A pure artiste. Mm. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I, when I listen to my favorite murder, they obviously would talk about someone like Ed Gein on there. And one of the listeners from their show knitted a belt that was a nipple belt. At first, they didn't know what it was. They thought it was a cat toy. And then she looked, Georgia looked at it and was like, it's a nipple belt. It's Ed Gein's nipple belt. And she got super excited because being true crime fanatics, they're like, oh my gosh, this is so creative. Blah, blah, blah. So, little fun fact of honest podcast days of listening instead of doing. Nipple belt. Speaking of that, do you want to wrap it up and tell us about this last site before we hop into notable dark web stories? Ooh, you know I can do that. This one's super duper short. So this one's called Spirits, and it's a website that sells statues in which the spirits are trapped in them. Surprisingly, a lot of these trapped spirits are that of the dead babies who have passed away. Hmm, maybe we should get one. For when we all meet up. No. No? Okay. What, we'll just, what, what do you do with it? I don't know. Play with it. Open it up. Put it in the middle of Ouija board. All right. Um, so now we're going to hop into some stories that individuals have shared with us about their experience with the dark web. Dean, so you want to start us off with the first notable dark web story? I'd love to. Nice. This one is called Bed Bug Man. Ooh. It's a new superhero. I'm just kidding. So this first story is called Bedbug Man, and it comes from an individual named Chris D. Nuts. These motherfucking nuts. (laughs) Got him. Chris said, I remember a long time ago there was a guy on a dark web forum that was trying to buy large quantities of bedbugs. When questioned why he wanted them, he basically said that he wanted to try to breed them to be resistant to normal methods of killing them while simultaneously breeding in a weakness that only he knew. This way, he could release them in people's houses and then force them to pay him to get rid of the bed bugs, since no one else would be able to kill them. Smart business strategy. These dark web people are have very good business strategies. That is a very smart. If only they could use their talents for good. Right? They're like the evil villains. Mm-hmm. Bed bug men. <laughs> God, that's horrible. This next story we're going to talk about is called Hunters. And it comes from an individual named Dalton M. Dalton said, I wandered around on the dark web about 10 years ago. Worst I saw was basically the super adventure club from South Park. It was a bunch of rich people on a forum discussing the best ways to abduct children from different parts of the world. The different kinds of children they owned, how to keep them hidden and healthy, and how young is too young for different sex acts. That is horrible. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, that's bad, bad. Yeah. All right. Mm. That's Epstein Island type stuff. All right, what's this last story here before we get into theories? This one is called Zoo Man and is from a woman named Melissa S. She said, quote, When I was about 12 or 13, 
I used to browse through Tor all night and just scroll through whatever my naive ass could find. Aside from the usual gore that was floating around, I saw this one page that still haunts me now. This guy ran an animal sanctuary in Colorado with a bunch of different exotic animals. He would essentially rent them out to people who were into bestiality. Some of those animals looked so miserable. Malnourished and chained up in the photos. I didn't even know what to do with that info at that age. And just remember having nightmares about those poor animals. Mm. I went to Tiger. My brain's like, it's tigers. Uh, Tiger King. You know, Joe Exotic would bust out of prison and save those tigers. That's right. Mm. Oh, man. That's horrible. Bunch of horrible That's stuff. Terrible, so I guess we should roll into theories. Our own personal thoughts and theories. Who wants to start first? They're all fucked up. Yep. <laughs> yep, I agree. I mean, there's not really many theories you can go about this, except like maybe one of it being a honeypot, right? And I say honeypot as in, is this really anonymous? The government created it, right? So you know they have back doors because they're always coming after that back door. Maybe they use this tour as a way to identify and force the best hitmen or best hackers in the world into doing jobs for the government, but off of the books, right? It's a way to identify and get them people to do that stuff for them. Just one of my theories. I like that. I mean, makes sense. It does. It was created by the government, so why do you... You think that the government still does not, like, have a hand in it? Come on now. They still use it. Oh, yeah. They still. That's, like, exactly how I feel about Hemisync now. You know, you guys know I've been all about Hemisync. And recently I started to have this, like, super bad feeling about it. And it just, I don't know why it didn't hit me sooner. But basically I thought to myself, this was initially created, from what I understand, for good purposes, Hemisync, and then the government got a hold of it and used it for 23 years, and then they learned all the ins and outs of it and went on hundreds of thousands of missions on it, and now, during the biggest spiritual awakening, they are like, here you go, world. It's been declassified for many, many years, but all of a sudden it comes to the surface, and I was thinking that this is a way for them to find the people who are trying to be deeper people who are trying to question where they come from go searching and maybe they are intercepting people using these tapes whether it be to you know just knowing who is like you're saying like uh, to be able to pick out the people who could so easily get there like okay well you have a natural talent for your psychic ability so let's we'll snack you snatch you up or maybe there's some brainwashing shit happening i don't fucking know what's happening but either way if the government had any involvement in it, there's o they always have that, like I said, that back door. They're getting in there. There's a reason why they can find these people. It's because they're always looking. They have their hand in everything. Yep. Everything's. So don't be getting on that hemisync shit. Trust your intuition on that stuff. Yeah. What do you think, Daniel? What's your whole theory behind this? Are you with it being a honeypot? Or what do you think? I go with that one because, you know, it just it fits. It makes sense. Like, I don't know. It, the dark web, yeah, you can hide your identity and all that. But so can the government. And, of course, they always have a hit list of people or companies they need to get rid of to fit their agenda. Not saying that they always do that, but, you know, it just makes sense. And then, of course, you got these people with their weird fetishes. I'm not going to really kink shame them, but the fuck. <laughs> the fuck. <laughs> Like, I mean, it's letting them, uh, I, I, I don't know. I can't really defend that. That's just terrible. Yeah, there's shit. a lot of weird stuff, a lot of horrible stuff that goes on there. But there is a legitimate side. But um, I think that's pretty much it for the Dark Web episode today. Do you all have anything else you want to add to it or anything? Mm -mm. It's fucked up, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Incognito mode. They still tracking your ass. Incognito mode just hides your, like... You know, basic stuff, but they know, they know what you're looking at on there. Oh, yeah. Just saying. They know everything. They track everything you do, everything with your phone, everything. Even if you type something in and erase it on your phone, it's still tracked and taken down and stored. So, Dude, y'all want to know something very weird today? 
Speaking of that, so you know how we were looking for a new distributor for merchandise, right? Yeah. One day, I you know, I searched up, you know, new distributors and all that. Then after that, I didn't search up anymore because I'm just like, this is going to be fucking tough. And we'll just try to go with what we got for now. Today, I saw four commercials, four within an hour of all like custom prints, print your shirt, like print your logo on this, print your, you know, items. And I'm just like. On your TV? On my TV. Ooh, weird. Is your phone like, any way connected to your TV or is your, are you logged into anything on your TV? No, this was through uh, direct TV. Oh, dang. That's what confused me. They got the deep, they got the deep ads running, baby. They're getting all the intel and running those ads. Ooh. Yeah, I'm just like, ooh, okay. Changing channels. Nice. All right. Well, that's the end of the episode today. So I guess we'll roll into shout outs. Uh, Anna, I see you have your shout out list up. You want to start us off today and start off with some Twitter shout outs? Yeah, boy. So I've been having some awesome conversation with Willow lately. Uh, just like on the same page with a lot of stuff. I appreciate you, dude. Um, we have Lur. Lurler, Britton, J, J, C. Um, so Nico, we have a couple people. So Nico, Jason, and your buddy Satan all suggested that one of the sounds that we heard on one of, on the unexplainable sounds was actually a death whistle, an Aztec death wish whistle. Have you guys heard this before? Yes, I have. I actually got a Facebook message saying that's the one guy has a death whistle and that's what he heard. Okay, yeah, when I played it, I was like, ooh, that's like exactly the same. Uh, and Jason says that he actually has a friend who has some, so if we would be interested in buying one, we could get a hold of him to do so. Hmm. So shouting out Steady Dreamin', Chris S., he suggested an episode on Solway Spaceman. I've never heard of that. Have you? Never heard of it. I added it to our list. Nice. Christian E. He loves that we're feeding him all these knowledge nuggies. He sent us a message. Fade me. <laughs> Rodrigo, thank you for your suggestion on Inner Earth. I am interested in diving into that and seeing what what what's kind of into it. I've never really gone down that rabbit hole. Um... Patrick Z, Shelby. Shelby had a really good thing talking about an Amazon Prime documentary on dolphins that I'm going to dive into. But, but they might, there might be more to dolphins than we know, communicating with us and things like that. They're the communicators. They're the middle people between us and aliens. Exactly. Dolphins have rape caves. Did you know that? No. Okay, so dolph teenage dolphins, the males... They get their penis out, and their penis acts like a hand, and it can grab onto certain things. They'll grab onto people that are swimming and pull them down into a cave that they have, and they'll take turns raping them in the cave. I mean, I've heard of them doing things with humans, but I didn't know that they take them down under the water. They have rape caves. And do that. Beware of raping All dolphins. Right. Well, there are, like, laws that say to stay 50 feet away from dolphins because they could take you under. But my belief is that they don't, the, the officials don't want us close to dolphins because they probably communicate with us in ways that even we don't understand. But I know if like Sexually. a pregnant woman goes in the water, <laughs> they, um, they have helped women like give birth. They calm and everything. That's the whole thing. Um, Aubrey. It's their child. It's their child. God. Please come on out now. <laughs> Aubrey was curious about uh, RH negative blood, and I know that we, I've talked about it in a couple episodes. I couldn't remember which ones that they were. I figured it was Anunnaki was one and the aliens, but I don't know if you guys remembered an episode where we kind of dug into RH negative. Season one, I think we did, or maybe it was season two. I think it might have been. I know I did a, a theory Thursday on it, but I don't know if we still have that episode up. Which one? Yeah. Uh, RH negative blood. I think we pulled that one. Yeah. Mm. 
Well, all right, so we'll move on. Aubrey, I hope you find the episodes. Uh, Tom suggested us doing a Y2K or in the reincarnation episode. Both of those topics interest me, but I think I'm on the list as well. Um, Adam H., man, also appreciate your convo. He lives in Hawaii. Hopefully I'll be able to make it over there this year. And I don't remember when you said you were moving, but I think it's later on. But just in case, have a safe move, dude. And the last few are through my emails. So Kevin suggested uh, Val Valvarian books like The Matrix, specifically Volume 1, The Psychosocial, Chemical, and Biological, and Electromagnetic Manipulation of Human Consciousness. I'm like sold. I like all that. Megan F. Um, she had this amazing story. I think I forwarded you guys her email if she didn't send it to you. But, you know, I won't go into super detail just because I, I didn't ask her permission to talk about it. But basically, um, she had, she was banished or she had a demon banished from her by a Buddhist uh, Rinpoche. That's probably said wrong. But she didn't know she had something attached to her. And this Buddhist saw her, had her kneel, and just, like, smacked her with a statue and banished this evil entity from her. And, like, she's like, it was a religious experience. And it was completely out the blue. Like, wasn't, didn't go to get this done. This guy, like, saw her did it. It's crazy. Um, so thank you for sharing that story, Megan. Uh, Nicolas. He's the one that left that really good message for us, the cherry on top message. Yeah. Um, but he his theory on the Anunnaki and possibly the Bible being turned around, so cool. I gotta like dive into that more to really know more. But dude, that was a really good theory. Your thought, your words, and kindness were amazing, and we all really appreciated everything you said in that email, dude. So thank you. Uh, shouting out Nani. Or Kanani. Uh, I don't. I know you said that your name is hard to say, but here's your shout out, Nani. Paul A. and Savvy. Appreciate y'all with your emails recently. I got y'all back to you. And last but not least, oh, Miss Luna. Thank you so much for your email this morning. I really appreciate you know you defending me with people leaving bad reviews. Well, Luna, I know that. I know that those people can't see your responses that you gave to me to those reviews, but I really appreciate them. And, you know, like you said, they have their own problems if they're coming at me with that with that type of energy. So don't worry. Ain't no one taking the wind from my sails. I'm the only one that can do that. Nice. All right. So I'll roll into a few Instagram shout outs real quick. I wanted to shout out Ben A. He said he was introduced to our podcast from his brother, and he's already binged all of our episodes. So shout out to you, Ben A., and your brother. Um, next is Stephanie A. She says she's a huge fan of our podcast and that she loves you, Daniel. So, Oh, yep. thank you. Daniel V., he said he loves our podcast, and he keeps referring us, or referring us to all of his skeptic mates and that he's from Australia. Much love. We'll throw another shrimp on the barmy there for me, Dan. Razor blades. That's all I know. Birkins. Oh, no, that's for <laughs> that's Jamaican. Jamaican. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out to Kimber H. She's a huge fan of our podcast and signed up for a Patreon. And she's chewing through our podcast. Much love to you. Um, like Armin? Yeah, like Armin. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> oh, shout out to Billingsley Hyundai. Uh, they deleted their personal account, but they love our podcast. And they sent us a picture of their daughter. Uh, we'll call her M in uh, young, like what, one, two year old girl. I'm bad at ages for kids, but she's in our Bigfoot 2024 shirt. Yeah. That they bought. Oh, my God. That was the oh, best yeah. shirt or best yes, picture ever. Such a great picture. Thank you for that. Um, shout out to Karen. Great chats with you. Also, Brendan, 
S. Shout out to you for all the love and support. And that's going to wrap up, wrap up my Instagram shout outs. Thank you all for the love and for the support. And now we will roll into Facebook shout outs with you, Daniel son. This is going to take such a long time. Mm. Not really. <laughs> I only got two shout outs. One is to Stephanie. She said like, Hey, I love the podcast. Then she was wondering, like she just became a Patreon member. She was wondering how to connect with us about topic suggestions and stuff. So I go ahead, told her that either discord email or direct message. And then shout out to Justin. He said that he just listened to the strange sound episodes and the screaming noise is an Aztec death whistle. And he says he knows this because he has one and the sound is identical, which I checked out Anna's link for the whistle. Checks out. Sure enough, that's it definitely yep, checks sounds out. Sounds like it. My only thing is how the hell could they make it that loud? You know? Put it on a speaker. Speak yeah, it's true. It's oh. true. Karaoke machine. Today we're singing the Aztec death whistle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not it, but you know, you get it. You yeah. Get it. It's like a scream. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up today's episode. I want to thank you all for joining us today. And again, thank you for all your support. You are all amazing. Every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan and Ani, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you're not alone.